Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Unofficial Bengals Podcast. Welcome to the Unofficial Bengals Podcast. This is your host, Frank LaPlaca, and I'm a Bengals fan for life. All right, in this episode, we're going to go over the Bengals' win over the Buffalo Bills, and we're going to preview the upcoming game against the Houston Texans. What's up, guys? This is Evan McPherson, and you're listening to the Unofficial Bengals Podcast. Cincinnati Bengals fans, I'd like to introduce Frank LaPlaca. I'd like to once again thank the football gods for granting us Joe Burrow. There's never been one quite like him. All right, I'm not sure if the name of the show is the Unofficial Bengals Podcast or if this is the Joe Burrow Appreciation Podcast. But I got to tell you, Joe Burrow is on fire right now, and the league better watch out. The way he's been playing the last few weeks and us winning four in a row, we just look unstoppable right now. And our dreams of going to the AFC Championship game and going to the Super Bowl are very real right now. And to bring in a fact that I heard this week, Joe Burrow is 5-1 and one against Mahomes and Allen combined. Now, I know Mahomes is known as the best quarterback in the league. He's got a rocket for an arm. He's got two rings. Josh Allen is a great runner of the ball. He's got a rocket for an arm. But as far as just like a pure passer, a pure traditional quarterback, a pure winner, a pure leader, my vote goes to Joe Burrow. So I don't want to hear, I don't even want to hear that Allen's in the conversation with Joe Burrow because Allen turns the ball over and he can't beat Joe Burrow. How many times am I going to say Joe Burrow in this opening? I'm not sure. That shows how thrilled I am at the way things are going on. So anyway, so here we are in the middle of my favorite time of the year. And it's a rare thing in season when you have three Bengal games in 12 days. Now one just passed, and now we have two upcoming. But just think about that. You have 12 days and three Cincinnati Bengal games. And I told you guys so many times... Bengal games are my favorite thing to do in the world. My world stops for the Cincinnati Bengals. And to have a 12-day period where I have three of those phenomenal experiences and looking like they're going to be wins, it's just a good time in your good old host's life when we have this many Bengal games in that short of a time. So the Bengals have won four in a row. We're getting back to that where we're not used to losing. You know, where winning is just expected. And guys just rise up from all over the roster and contribute to wins. We've won five out of the last six. 
You take away those first two games when Burrow was healing. You take away, you know, we have one disaster game every year. I mean, the one year was the game against the Jets that I almost was going to drop, like, my whole tax return on because it just seemed like the Bengals were going to destroy him, and we lost to Mike White. You know, you had one of those. You have your yearly killing by the Browns, and I guess this year we had that rock-bottom game against the Tennessee Titans. But it looks like we're over all that four in a row, nearing the top of the AFC, we're the seventh seed and climbing, and you've seen it over the last few weeks. Every week we're, you know, we're the tenth seed, then the ninth seed, now we're the seventh seed. And if you really look at everything, we're one game back in the lost column on Baltimore and on the Kansas City Chiefs, and we play both of those guys head-to-head. So there's an opportunity to be tied with them in the lost column as long as we beat them head-to-head, and then who knows what's going to happen for the rest of the games. And everyone that's in that playoff hunt right now, we play. We play Jacksonville, we play the Browns, and the only one that we don't play is the Miami Dolphins, but they have three losses, we have three losses. So no one has the edge on each other. Right now, if we just win out, and I know that's a crazy thought, but think about last year. We won 10 in a row. Right now we're on four in a row and looking like we're going to be hard for anybody to beat. If we just continue on that path, and I'm not saying we're going to win every game, but if we win the majority of our games, we're going to head to the top of the AFC. I would love to have home field advantage. We started off in a little bit of a hole with those two divisional losses, so I'm not sure home field advantage is going to happen, but it is on the radar. We're just one game behind the two top teams, and we're playing them both. All right, so some injury news. Charlie Jones has been cleared to come back to the Bengals, so that's going to be exciting to have him back in the lineup. You know, put him in the slot. Let's see what he can do from scrimmage. Of course, he had the punt return touchdown, so we're going to see what happens when he gets back there. So what it is is you have a 21-day period to activate him to the active roster, and he doesn't count as a roster spot right now. So he can practice with the Bengals for three weeks, and anytime, if they want to activate him this week or if they want to wait until the 21st day, Whatever they do, they can carry another player. When they activate him, they're going to have to cut someone and hopefully bring them to the practice squad. So looking forward to having you back, Charlie Jones. You just started peaking right before you got hurt. So let's hope that you can contribute to some wins and this playoff push that we're right in the middle of. And Jamar Chase with the back injury. Chris Collinsworth was calling it when it happened. Just when you land that hard on your back, on the turf, you know, with other players' body weight around you, it's it's not a fun thing. I see him on the injury report. You know, there's rumors that he might not play this week. I think he's going to play. It's just he's a warrior. He might sit out of practice a couple days. It's not a knee. It's not a, a popped shoulder. It's not a concussion. It's it's just a really sore back that a lot of us mortals probably couldn't live through. But I think that Jamar Chase will be back in that lineup on Sunday and contributing to a big win over the Texans. And then T. Higgins. I always say that the Bengals will not let him leave the building. Chris Collinsworth on the broadcast seemed to think otherwise, that it's going to be really hard to keep him. I say you find a way to pay him his money, and that might be at the expense of a Tyler Boyd. You know, that it's, you can't fit everyone, especially when you're a good team. But I just think that the lineup is so much more potent with him in it. You know, you pull him out of it, and we have a bunch of great receivers, but now teams are really focusing in on Chase. And now, you know, you you want Boyd and Irwin and Yoshivas and whoever else you're going to pick up to lead the team to victory. But T. Higgins is just an outstanding player. And the truth is, I think we're going to bring him back. I don't know. What's he going to command? What are you thinking? $19 million, $20 million, somewhere in that vicinity? And I know that's going to be so hard with the 50-plus million of Burrow and Chase coming up. 
but you know, you're pretty young on defense. There's got to be a way that we can fit this in, and I don't want to lose your DJ readers and your Mike Hiltons in the process. It might mean that a woozy is a casualty, but you know what? We're in the middle of the season. I don't even know why I'm getting into this, but Collinsworth brought it up, my man Chris. But I just wanted to say to you, T. Higgins, and I know you're listening or your people are listening to this, the grass is not always greener. You have the best pure passer in the NFL. And there's no pressure to be the number one, even though at times you play like a number one. You know, you go to another team, you're not going to have the same passer. When you're relied on to be the number one, everything changes. Now the focus is on you all the time. I think it's a perfect situation to have a great quarterback throwing to you and a great receiver like Jamar Chase taking some of the heat off you. I just don't think it's going to get better than it is in Cincinnati. Yeah, you know what? T. Higgins goes to the, I don't know, insert team here. He goes to the to the Titans, and they pay him $22 million, but he's got a subpar quarterback throwing to him. He's the focus of the defenses now. It's it's a lot different. You see it happen to guys. You know, they want number one money, which is understandable. These careers are short, and it's like grab your bag while you can, but it's not always best for your career. So I'm hoping that T. Higgins can work something out with the Bengals and stay around and contribute to a dynasty because that's what we're in the middle of building right here. All right, so let's talk about the game a little bit. So we had that striped crowd audience where one section was black, one section was orange. Thank you, Elizabeth and Carolyn Blackburn, for these creative ideas. I know some other teams may have done that in the past, but we're bringing it to this organization for the first time. Thank you for the fans for buying in. You know, everyone wants to be cool, wear what you want, but everyone's saying, all right, you know what, you want me to wear orange, I'll wear orange. You want me to wear white, I'll wear white. You want me to wear black, I'll wear black. Thank you, Cincinnati Bengals fans. Keep up the good work. It's really helping, and it's really contributing to a great atmosphere and a great home field advantage. All right, so we had four tight ends active for this game, and that's very rare for any team to do it. And it's especially rare for the Cincinnati Bengals, where we don't really have a phenomenal tight end room. But the way they played this game, if they can do that the rest of the way, we're in good shape. I mean, you had Irv Smith with the touchdown catch. You had Tanner Hudson really showing up. Drew Sample, outstanding blocking and a big touchdown. And Wilcox does a lot of dirty work behind the scenes. A lot of special teams blocks, a lot of thankless offensive line blocks. So it was nice to see this room get its due and these four guys play well. And Coach Casey's an excellent leader and a really good coach. So four tight ends active. You might not see that every week, but for whatever reason, they did it this week and it really worked and it really paid off. All right, so we took the ball first, and that's not the Belichick method of doing it, right? You want to double dip at halftime. You want to defer, score right before the half, score right coming out of the half. But every game is a little bit different, and the way that we've been playing lately and just getting off the ground quickly and scoring first, this, what was the stat? 21-2 and two went scoring first since 2021. That's too many numbers, but you get me. Like Our record is incredible when we're scoring first. And I think the last three, maybe four games, we had a touchdown drive on the first drive. And we have great opening drives. The script that Coach Taylor and Coach Callahan are coming up with for each game is off the charts. Our first drive, we had no negative plays. Every play was a success. And I love drives like that. You know, no holding penalties, no negative one-yard losses, no incomplete passes. It was just like the perfect drive. We're using a variety of formations. You're seeing three tight ends. You're seeing trips on one side. You're seeing spread out trips all the way out. You're seeing tight trips formation. You're seeing two guys in the backfield. You're seeing pure two tight ends. You're seeing 
three wide receiver sets, two on one side, one on the other, tight end, running back. I mean, I know, I guess every team is mixing it up all the time, but I'm just watching the formations on a down-to-down basis, and I'm like, man, this is just very creative and hard for a defense to get a beat on. And we've incorporated that fake screen pass successfully a couple times over the last two weeks. I really like it. When you have like a player like Chase or Boyd, you know, bouncing into the backfield like they're going to get a screen pass, and the defense kind of freezes, and then you send someone right past them. It's worked at least two times. I know we tried it three times over the last couple games. And it's a play, it's a common sense play. I don't think it's the first time I've ever seen it. But it's the first time I've really drawn attention to it. So I love the play calling there. I love the creativity. And that fake screen, I don't know how much longer it's going to work because teams are going to be onto it with film study. But it really has been a weapon the last couple weeks. So what do we do? We go down 7 nothing. Bengals. The Bills answer with a score. And I'm not going to say it's lucky because like, if Jamar Chase breaks a bunch of tackles and makes a big run, we're just saying how great he is. And that's what Diggs did. He took that little screen pass or that short pass for like 30-something yards downfield. And it is skill. You know, he's fast. He's one of the best receivers in football. He stayed on his feet. It was just like DJ Turner had him. And when he spun him around in the tackle, he like collided. I think he collided with Logan Wilson. Like, it was just like a really fortunate series of events that that sprung him on that long run. But I'm not going to complain. I mean, as a Bengals fan, I, I kind of call it lucky, but whatever. You know, Diggs made a great play. But that's how they scored on their first drive. That was the big play that got them down there. So they, they tied up at 7-7. And then the whole second quarter, the whole third quarter, they only score three points. The Buffalo Bills, you know, another one of America's darlings teams. And I have nothing against the Bills. They're like our closest ally in football, you know, from the the Tyler Boyd catch and donating to Andy Dalton's charity, the DeMar Hamlin situation. The coaches are really friendly with each other. The players are really friendly. I'm not turning the Bills into the enemy. I think that at times they get that reputation of being like a darling of the NFL, but three points through those two quarters in a huge Sunday night primetime game. That's a great defense. That's great coaching, Coach Anarumo. Thank you. Gabe Davis, zero catches. The Bills running backs, 24 yards. Diggs had a good game, but not a great game, not a dominating game. Kincaid, 10 catches, 81 yards. He was their best weapon on offense, and we have to figure out a way to lock down the tight ends better. Tight ends are running wild in this league. It's a hard position to cover when you have these hybrids that are big guys that can run and run routes with good hands. But the tight end is is a dangerous position. It's almost like the knight in chess, like... It's not the most important piece, but man, it can kill you. So we have to figure out how to better defense against tight ends. I mean, we have Dalton Schultz coming up, and I know that's not a huge name for you guys, but he's had a monster couple weeks down in Houston. He's a go-to for C.J. Stroud. We have Andrews coming up. We have Kelsey coming up. And just every team is really relying on those tight ends. So we have to get that formula for, you know, containing the tight ends and not letting them beat us. All right, coaching decision. What do you guys do? We know what Coach Taylor did. Fourth and two from the 50. There's nine minutes left in the second quarter. We're up 14-7 at home. Burrow wanted to go for it. You know, the excitement guy in me wanted us to go for it. The rational Frank said, nah, punt it away. And Coach Taylor did punt that. So, you know, you guys can make up your own decisions. Fourth and two, the analytics say from that spot on the field, you should go for it. We were moving the ball well. We're a great offense. I get that part of it. There's really no right answer here because the other side is if you're playing the game, you know, traditionally, strategically, 
you're at home, you're up by seven, maybe you punt that ball away and pin them, especially when they haven't done anything for the last couple drives. That's exactly what we did, and it did not burn us, although we all know it's more exciting when you go for it on fourth and keep the drive going. That's the big quandary. I leave it to you guys. I mean, Coach Taylor did what he did. I told you what I would have done. But, you know, whatever you guys think, that's that's valid as well. We possessed the ball 21 minutes in the first half. That's a winning formula. Halftime, the Riley family came out, and that was great to see on national TV. You saw Ken Riley's Hall of Fame bust. You saw the whole family there. I think Munoz was there. He was kind of obscured a little bit. Collinsworth tells his stories about how Riley helped him with route running early in his career, and the Bengals had this little trick they used to play on the rookies and send them to a turkey farm for Thanksgiving turkeys, but the turkey farm didn't exist. So Collinsworth was able to recite some old-time Bengals stories on national TV, and as a lifelong fan, I was just eating it up. Coach Anarumo, on top of calling a good game and being great all season, and we know he's getting a head coaching job next year, more halftime adjustments. You know, we only let up one score the rest of the game. So they didn't score anything in the second quarter and the third quarter, and they had one touchdown in the second half. They got the two-pointer, so it was an eight-point total for the Bills in the fourth quarter. But, man, that is just great defense against a very good offense. And the defensive strategy, they called attention to it on the broadcast. We were playing a deep safety a lot of the time, and that makes sense because Diggs is a huge home run threat. Gabe Davis is a huge home run threat. And once you have a lead on the Bills, you know what? All right, we'll let you dink and dunk underneath because our offense can go punch for punch with you. We're not going to get suckered into coming up and having you go over top on us and and changing the course of the game that way. So I love the strategy of having a superior athlete like Dax Hill, you know, 20 yards off the ball in this situation. You can't play like that all the time, but when you have a team that relies on that and is behind, the Bills are dangerous, and I think it was a great strategy to do so. All right, another coaching decision, this time by the Bills. They're down 24-10, to 10, they score a touchdown, and they decide to go for two. You know, traditional thinking is, hey, 24-10, now it's 24-17, we're a touchdown away from tying it. And that's my philosophy going into this, but when I thought about it, if you go for two and get it, it just like Collinsworth said, I'm referring to him again, he made some great points. It puts a lot of pressure on the other team, and we felt it. You know, when it was 24-18, we were like, you know what, we have to hold this ball because if they get it back and score, they're going to win the game. So I like the philosophy there. I mean, you can take it either way. Just hit your seven, hit your seven, go to overtime, or hit your eight and force the other team to play a little bit more, not just eat things. Or you missed the two, and now you're down by eight, and if you score another one, you, you go for the two-pointer for the tie. So I think it's a good decision. I think we're going to see more teams doing it. And although I was from the 7-7 seven and seven camp, I am now in the go-for-the-two-pointer camp because I felt the pressure being on the, the team that was ahead. It wasn't comfortable when they got the eight and were only down by six. What would you guys do? All right, so to close out the game flow, we made the Bills use a lot of clock on their TD run. You know, they're in the fourth quarter. They get it with 8.08 left, and we let them dink and dunk underneath and take a lot of time. They wasted a timeout on a challenge, which they probably shouldn't have, and it goes from 8.08 down to 3.32. The Bengals get the ball with 3.32 left. Still a lot of time to go three and out and have the Bills come down and win the game, but what do we do? Beautiful play call on that first play. They do a deep pass to Boyd, and what a perfect throw by Joe Burrow. 
once that happened, obviously check me at that point. Really, that throw to Boyd was perfect, and 32 yards, it chewed up a whole bunch of yardage, and it enabled us to run four more plays, and that's exactly what we did. We had Joe Mixon rush three times, and he got those 11 yards for the first down. The Bills were never to see the ball again, and then we go into kneel-down mode. Cincinnati Bengals 24, Buffalo Bills 18. All right, since this episode has been kind of renamed the unofficial Joe Burrow Appreciation Podcast, I kind of like that. That's what we're going to go with. But since that's what I've coined this episode, or maybe even the show, we're going to talk about Joe Burrow for a few minutes. And it's a lot of the stuff I say on a regular basis, but it just needs to be restated because I can't state enough how much of a game changer this guy has been for this organization. And as a lifelong fan of football who really analyzes the game and pays a lot of attention to the on-field play and the strategy and the technique of players, he is just amazing. I, like I, I tell you guys, I wish that we could all just hang out in a theater and and watch film together on all of Joe Burrow's throws. It would just be a clinic, and we would it would make everyone appreciate just how great he is. I know we know he's great, but if you really go on a down-by-down basis, this is unheard of. And I'm always pulling rank on how long I've been a Bengals fan, right? Since 1976, I saw Anderson, I saw Blake, I saw Boomer, Boom, blah, 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 blah. Joe Burrow is the best Bengal I've ever seen. And that's, with all due respect to Anthony Munoz, two different positions. Munoz did it for a long time. But Joe Burrow is on that trajectory and literally the best Bengals quarterback of all time. So we'll start off the Joe Burrow appreciation with two quotes like I always do. The first one, in the post-game on-the-field interview, he's asked... How's your finger doing? And what does he say? It's just a little scratch. That's football, baby. What am I going to say? The guy is just really cool. And then he's asked, what changed, you know, from the first two games? What What's the difference between those first two games and the rest of the season? What can you do now that you weren't able to do? And what does he say? Run. Okay, so not to belabor the Joe Burrow appreciation. Here we go. A bunch of bullet points. I'm just going to rip through them. 348 yards, two touchdowns against a really good defense. Eyes are always downfield. He's not afraid of contact. He's not afraid to get hit. You know, you can't be a quarterback that's that's gun-shy of what's around you in the pocket. You have to keep your eyes downfield. That's what he does to perfection. The recognition, the reads, the quick decisions, and the quick release. It's not just your physical ability. It's the ability to process information on the football field. And for him, I had a conversation with a friend. I don't, I don't even know if it's, if it's thought out or if it's just instinct. But he just reads defenses, recognizes what's happening in less time than any other quarterback, makes a quick decision, and has the physical ability to make a quick release. Just phenomenal. He's throwing well on the rollouts and on the move. Another hard thing to do. Try it yourself. Go out in the yard. Go run to the right. You know, basically running for your life and hit your friend on a perfect pass accurately. Not easy to do. Because when your body momentum is going one way, it's very hard to control that ball. It can sail on you, right? If you know if you're running right and you're throwing right, it sails. If you're running right and you try to go across the body, you don't have the strength or accuracy on it. There's a lot of things that can go wrong. Joe Burrow just does it to perfection. 
I say this all the time, and this is so underrated. He doesn't put his receivers in danger. Very rarely do you see his receivers take big hits because he places the ball in a spot that's either going to lead them away from danger or protect them from a big hit. Not just stretch them out for a big hit or lead them into a safety or a linebacker. And a lot of quarterbacks, when they're scrambling and they see like a running back in the flat, they'll dump it to him for like a two-yard gain, even though there's a linebacker bearing down on him. Burrow doesn't do that. And if he does... He does it in a way where it doesn't expose them to big hits. How many times you see Mixon get lit up? You don't see it. And I was watching the Buccaneers game because I had a bet on it, and Mayfield was doing that right and left. And, you know, he's a decent passer, but, man, he was hanging his guys out to dry so badly. And there were times where he was scrambling, and he was just dumping the ball to a running back for, like, a zero-yard gain, and the running back was just getting lit up. That's not a good teammate. That's not good field awareness. It's not good accuracy when you think about it. If you're going to lead those guys into that hit, it's selfish. Burrow does not do that, and I know his teammates appreciate it. And even though Joe Burrow is the all-time leader in completion percentage, hey, we love the stats, we love the records, right? And he probably will continue on that trajectory and be one of the best of all time in completion percentage. But I was thinking about it. And I think that ball placement is even more important. All right, so you have an incomplete pass here and there. Guys have drops. Things go wrong. You know, sometimes you throw the ball away. All those things affect completion percentage. But ball placement is the key. Not leading guys into hits. Throwing into narrow windows. You know, putting the ball over the guy's shoulder when he's on the move. Throwing guys open. That's ball placement. So there's not a real stat for ball placement. At least I know that the analytics and... PFF and you know all, all the, the stat gods probably do have something for that. But that's not something we're privy to as fans unless you really read deep into it. So we see completion percentage as being the barometer of how accurate a quarterback is. But in reality, it's ball placement. And Burrow's finding the open spots in the zones. There was one play where the safeties drop back at the last minute and he just floats it to boy right in front of him. It's just that awareness. Man-to-man, he's going to kill you. Zone, he's going to find the holes in the zone just like he did there and has done countless times over the course of his career. And I've been comparing him to Tom Brady since day one, just the intangibles that make you a great leader and a great quarterback. Right, like in the Brady era, Manning was a better passer, right? Manning was technically a better quarterback, but not a better winner, not a better leader. And that's how I almost feel with Burrow against Mahomes. And I know Mahomes has the rings. And until we get one or two or three, I guess I don't have an argument there. But I almost feel like Burrow to Mahomes is like Brady to Manning. And we have our Tom Brady. And Collinsworth made a comparison to Tom Brady by saying how... Joe Burrow has subtle moves within the pocket. So it's not necessarily the Josh Allen athleticism or the speed of Lamar Jackson. Sometimes it's just those little things in the pocket that enable you to get free and clear for a good throw downfield. Burrow's completing all types of passes all over the field. You're seeing screens, you're seeing outs, you're seeing slants, you're seeing corner routes, you're seeing deep balls, you're seeing posts. Just the whole route tree is in his wheelhouse. And if you watch a Bengals game, it's not just one specific area of the field or one specific type of pass it's pretty much everything he had a couple nice scrambles I love the one where he gets the first down and he's on the ground and you see him with just the coolest look in the world with that double finger point while he's still laying on the ground like that's the kind of guy you want to root for that's the kind of guy you want to be the face of your organization and he's going to be the face of the NFL very shortly he's heading there now I know that's Mahomes at the moment 
but Burrow's going to be battling him for that just because of how good he is on the field, how cool he is, and how great he is off the field. And then again, like I told you, we could rent out that theater and go over all of Joe Burrow's throws and... You know, listing them here, it, it loses its translation because we're not watching them. But if you saw that first touchdown pass to Irv Smith, that's a perfect corner route. It just leads him to a touchdown. You know, you're throwing your receiver open. That's not an easy pass. It's so easy to go long on that or go short on that or go left or go right. Just to make that perfect pass, it's, it's really a small window when you're throwing a corner route into the end zone. And he made a perfect throw there. There was a throw, I I don't know, maybe the second quarter or so. There was a lot of traffic on the left side, and he lobbed it into Hudson. It it was like if you threw it too short, it was going to get picked. If you threw it too long, it was going to get picked. There was just a lot of traffic in that area, and he just floated it in perfectly to the receiver. Just a great throw. Like I said, if you get a chance to rewatch it, keep your eye on that one. That was a a low-key phenomenal throw. And then like last week where he had that drill pass to Boyd over the middle on a slant, he did the same thing to Higgins this week where he just zipped it in there perfectly and led Higgins away from taking a big hit. The deep ball, the chase, I know chase was wide open, but it's easy to mess that up. It was almost like a corner route in itself, even though it was more towards the middle of the field. That was where chase got the 32 yards, another beautiful throw, and the list goes on and on. And lastly... Joe Burrow goes to bed by 8 p.m. during the football season. That's dedication. He's got all offseason to be a rock star and party and hang out and do his thing. But he's all about football. That's why you don't see a ton of endorsements. He's not a wannabe actor. He's not a wannabe partier on the scene. He's a football player. And he knows his priorities. And it's totally paying off because he's the best in football right now. All right, I'm getting a little hoarse after that total rant, but it was so worth it, and I, I love to point things out about this player, and I hope you guys are noticing the, th- the same things and appreciating the same things. But let's talk about the rest of the offense. Higgins, eight catches, 110 yards. His big quote when asked post-game by Melissa Stark was, about time, I needed this one this year. I love the self-awareness, and I love the humbleness. He knows that it's, it's been a little bit of a down year for him because of injury and you know, a wet ball in one of the games and, you know, whatever. There's been a a bunch of excuses, but he had a breakout game and he's a breakout receiver. I've never doubted T. Higgins from the beginning. He had those two catches where he he just strong-armed the catch and held the ball away from the receiver. And you forget, at 6'4", he's got long arms too. So he's got a 5'10", 5'11", corner swatting at the ball, but he's holding it out of his reach, you know, almost like a a large basketball player, like like a, a forward holding the ball above a guard. Like, almost the same thing. I hate making other sport references. I apologize. I'm not going to do that again. And then he had that nice catch that was a little bit underthrown by Burrow where he he kind of bent over, you know, turned back to get the ball. Then he gets some big yards after the catch after that. Just a great game by Higgins and couldn't happen to a better guy. Jamar Chase had tough sledding this week. He had some big catches, and he's used to just you know, dominating games, and they were really stacking on him and keying on him all game. It was really hard for him to get anything in this. And he had the the touchdown catch early that he he just couldn't reel in, you know, towards the right sideline of the end zone. He was wide open on a deep ball, and it got a little bit underthrown. He he landed on his back really hard. His helmet popped off on another play. He kind of deserves a break after this one. You know, he's had a pretty safe, productive, stardom-like career. 
And this game was a lot of dirty work and not an easy one. I know he wasn't feeling good the next day physically, but, you know, that happens. He's a warrior. He's not complaining. We'll see him back this week, probably, you know, catching eight balls for 96 and a tee. You'll see Vosh had one catch. It was early in the game, but it was a nice catch on a burrow rollout. It just seems like when Burrow rolls right, Yosivash is his main target, and he had a big catch this game. And they really gave him a lot of screen time and talked about him right after the catch. So that was nice for him to get some national recognition. He's going to be a star for this team. You know, he's going to be like our, our Hushman Zada, that late-round receiver that just contributes and is so well-loved by the fans. And, man, I'm pulling for him. Tanner Hudson, 4 for 45 yards, running great routes showing good hands he's he was open so much and you wonder was that the routes or the scheming or is it just an afterthought is it just like all right we're watching the big three and Mixon and maybe Herb Smith who who's this Hudson guy so if that's the case whatever it took he got open a bunch and he appears to be our best pass catching tight end and I just want to see him active every week. And Collinsworth, again, made a reference to him being more of a heady player than athleticism. Right? Collinsworth was like, he didn't outmuscle anyone on that. He didn't outrun anyone on that. He just, I guess, outsmarted them on that. And it's every time, I don't know, he's one of those players that I'm just pulling for. Maybe like a Yosivash. You know, when those guys catch the ball, it just gets you pumped up. But there's nothing like a Burrow to Jamar Chase, though. When there's a Burrow to Jamar Chase long pass, that's like the most exciting thing to see as a Bengal. But anyway, I digress. Irv Smith had a touchdown catch against a very good safety. Poyer's a really good one, and he had that early catch. He had a couple other red zone catches. I almost felt like they targeted him on purpose on that first drive because he had the fumble and everyone was so down on him. You never know what goes on in the locker room or on those one-on-one conversations. Was Burrow like... Hey, I got you, man. I know you had a rough week and everyone wants you out of here. I'm going to take care of you. I don't know if it was that, the game plan, or just what presented itself. But either way, Irv Smith, big first drive for the Bengals. And I think it silenced a lot of his critics. And I was one of the ones that was really mad at him after last week. So my apologies. I stand corrected. Keep playing like this, Irv Smith. Be this Irv Smith. Be a danger in the passing game. And we're going to be lights out. Drew Sample had his best play as a Bengal and his best game as a Bengal, so that was nice to see. It was just a real tight end heavy game. I couldn't believe it. Mixon, another great game. And he gets positive yardage even when he stopped. As long as he's going straight ahead. You know, he always falls for, They stop him at the line. He falls forward for three yards. He's just doing that right and left. He's catching balls out of the backfield like usual. The one thing I realized about Joe Mixon, the times where he doesn't have productive runs is when you get him going horizontally. And that's the case with a lot of running backs, except like the real speedster, elusive ones. But it just feels like Joe Mixon should be like a north-south guy, not too much east-west, because that's when I see him get stopped. Pretty much the only time I see him get stopped. Travion Williams had a couple nice runs in this game, and if you watch his game, I'm just going to say the one thing that really stands out, there's no hesitation. He hits the hole at full speed and presses straight ahead. He's not dancing. He's not hesitating. He's not Le'Veon belling it and delaying in the backfield. He is just taking the ball and going forward, almost like a Samaj P. Ryan. You know, he doesn't have that frame, but he's got that mentality of, I'm going north and south as quickly as I can, and it paid off in this game on a couple big runs. Chris Evans was finally in the lineup for a bunch of plays, but they didn't target him. The protection was excellent. One sack. Do not get mad at Alex Kappa. I know he had the two penalties kind of within each other, you know, in a short period of time. 
do not get mad at this guy. He is the best offensive lineman on this team. And, you know, you take away those two, he had a great game as well. Orlando Brown is living up to the name. He's playing with a bad groin. There was a play where he pulled as a tackle. You don't see that a lot. He got out there in space quick from the left all the way to the right. Makes a big block on a run. His run blocking's outstanding. His pass blocking, he faced a couple big-time edge rushers. It was like a rotation, and that's not easy. You know, if you're going against the same guy play after play, you've studied him, you know his moves, you start getting a read for each other, and that's a little bit easier. But when you have Epinesa and and Von Miller and like a, a bunch of different guys coming his way, now you're you have to prepare for different styles, and everyone's throwing a different wrinkle at you. It's not that easy. And he held up, and like I said, he's living up to his name and his contract and as what we all thought was going to be a lockdown left tackle, and he's been playing outstanding, like I said, even with the groin. Ted Karras is, is quietly playing outstanding this whole year, especially this game. And Jonah played well again. He let up one big hit on Burrow where Burrow's head hit the turf, did not like it, but we're not seeing Jonah Williams fail on a down-by-down basis. He's had a couple good weeks in a row. Man, I hope he's turned the corner. Defensively, we shut down the Bills' run game. Reader had a big game against the run, as usual. B.J. Hill is just stacking up big game after big game. He's so physical. He has outstanding strength. I don't know who's the strongest guy in the locker room. You know, the the conditioning staff can tell you that, or the players can tell you that. But it feels like B.J. Hill is right up there with anyone on this roster as far as strength. You see him pushing around a lot of big offensive linemen and just having a, a great career as a Bengal and his best season yet. He had a big third down sack. He's got four sacks on the year, and that's not easy from the interior. And a couple other pressures to go along with that sack. Hendrickson is just consistent pressure. Hubbard shows that motor consistently. He forced a big holding call, which is just as good as as a sack when you think about it. Murphy had a couple pressures, so maybe the light is going on for him halfway through the year. Imagine if, if he turns into a force and Jermaine Pratt. I don't know, should this be a Jermaine Pratt appreciation episode? He had the huge strip that basically ended the game, just like the interception last week, just like the classic interception against the Raiders that won us our first playoff game in years. His hands are always attacking the ball. He's all over the field, kind of like what I said about Von Bell last year. He's in coverage. He's getting up there to stop the run. He's playing in the offense's backfield. He's blitzing. I'm just so glad we re-signed this guy. He has been a force. I mean, him and Logan Wilson, you know, Logan Wilson, I guess, is known as, like, the best linebacker on the team. But with all these big plays out of Pratt, uh, I don't know. It's like 50-50. It doesn't even matter who's better. We have two outstanding ones. They stay healthy. This defense is just going to continue to ride and, and ride us right to the promised land. Secondary, Britt is turning into a star. Well, we knew he was a star, and it's nice to see. He had Diggs in man-to-man coverage a lot, and what he was saying is they were trying to move Diggs away from him and send him in motion so Diggs wasn't covered by Britt. He had a great game. He's having a great season. He had the interception covering Davis. It was a bad underthrow, but he caught the ball for a big pick in Bill's territory. The physicality and tackling is right up there with any corner in the league. He's playing really confidently, which you need at that position, right? What do, what do they say about corners? Short memory, a lot of confidence. It's exactly what he's doing, just like all the greats. And then he had that one tripping play that didn't get called, so I'm not going to draw too much attention to it, but it was pretty bad. 
Ouzier quietly had a great game. Hilton had a great game as always. Good in coverage, which isn't his strength, but he was good in coverage. His tackling is outstanding. He tackles guys much bigger than him on a regular basis. He had the one play where a guy tries to stiff arm him and he swats his arms down. I wish you would see more out of that. You know, That's just such a veteran move. Dax Hill, very, very good game all over the field. He had the discipline on the flea flicker. You know, for a young safety, a lot of times those guys are, are going to make the wrong move and leave that open. And he maintained his coverage and his discipline. And he has been such a bright spot. I know Bates is having a, a Pro Bowl type of year. But Dax Hill has been a very minimal drop-off from Jesse Bates. Really a pleasant surprise. The most pleasant surprise so far on the roster. And DJ Turner, he let up the two plays to Diggs. But who's not? Diggs is one of the best receivers in football. He was close on the touchdown. He almost got it. He was close on the two-pointer. He almost got that. Aside from those two plays, he was outstanding again. And a good learning experience to go against a receiver like Diggs. Because if he's going to be one of our corners of the future, and the money situation kind of leads to that, you want to see him get used to playing big in big games against big receivers. So... Did he get beat by Diggs? Yes, he did. Was it good for his learning? Yes, it was. Did he still play an outstanding game and is having an outstanding season? Yes, he is. Special teams, McPherson perfect as always. He even hit the 55, but it got called back because of penalty. I would have liked to seen him kick the 60 just because he's one of my favorites. But, you know, we did the right thing in that situation. And obviously by the final score, all the coaching moves panned out. Brad Robbins had his best game so far in a really important primetime game. It was definitely his best punting game. Hopefully this is the beginning of his career taking off. Stanley Morgan was active. You didn't see him much, but with Tyson Anderson on the injured list, you needed a high-quality gunner, and there's not many more high-quality than Stanley Morgan. Hoping that if Anderson is down for any extended period of time, that Morgan gets up on the active roster and gets that bigger paycheck and gets the due that he deserves. And Trent Irwin filling in well as a punt returner. No question that he's catching the ball, and he's just going north and south. He goes forward very quickly, and it just seems like he takes more hits than any other Bengal for some reason. He just gets racked on every play, whether he's catching the ball or returning a punt. Trent Irwin shows his toughness on a down-by-down basis. All right, I'm running a little bit long on this episode because of my Joe Burrow rant and my excitement over all the players and what everyone's doing to this point. So I normally go over the key plays, and typically there's so many key plays in a game, and turnovers and big sacks and big catches are all key plays or great throws, but I just like to highlight the touchdowns, I guess. So I know I'm a fast talker. I'm just going to rip through this. I'm going to cover the three touchdowns. I'm going to tell you exactly what happened, and we're going to go in three, two, one, bang. Irv Smith touchdown. Trips to the left. Boyd and Higgins just do turnarounds underneath so they're going to the outside Smith is on the inside he runs the corner route perfect throw by Joe Burrow brings Irv Smith back into good graces with the Bengals fans Joe Burrow makes a statement to begin the game and like I said an absolute perfect throw on not an easy throw no matter how open a guy is Mixon touchdown we're at the two-yard line even Burrow said they throw a lot in that situation it's third and goal we have trips to the right but not all the way outside now it's a tight trips formation so now we're, and it's on the long side of the field. So we're introducing a whole bunch of like, you know, who's going to run the out or the corner on that right side. And we have Chase by himself on the left side. So you think about it from a defensive standpoint. 
It's like, all right, they have the trips over here on the right. They're going to play some game over here. That needs our attention. Oh, man, Jamar Chase is alone on the left. That's going to need attention. So there was so much attention paid to the guys that were in the receiver's positions that it was the perfect opportunity to run. Orlando Brown lays a perfect block on the defensive end. Volson and Karras just have this big push, and Mixon basically walks in, and then he jumps into the crowd. I saw you, Bengals captain and Jess. He was you were you guys were just to the right. I wish you would have jumped in about ten feet to the right because you would have been right there on prime time. But you always are, so it's all good. But yes, the stadium exploded. Thank you, Joe Mixon. Sample touchdown. Max protect. You have Williams and Sample in the backfield. You have Boyd, Higgins, and Chase all out there. They all run deep routes of, of various combinations. Like Chase does a, a deep in. I think Higgins did a fly, and Boyd did some long post or slant. I don't know. All of our big guys ran deep, and that scares any defense. And it just leaves Travion Williams and Sample in the backfield. Sample said that he saw no pressure, so he just goes into the flat. Burrow makes a perfect throw right over a jumping defensive lineman, so another low-key great throw. And then Sample gets the ball running like a tank. He hurdles a safety, and Burrow was like a point guard. Just lobbing it over the defense. Oh, man, did I just make another basketball reference? I don't even like any other sport. I bet on basketball. I used to play a lot of baseball. I guess that was technically my best sport, but uh, look at me bragging. Nah, anyway, Burrow got the pass over to Sample perfectly. And if you rewatch the game, he had Chase on a deep in pretty wide open over the middle. But it doesn't matter. Sample scores the touchdown. And those are the key plays of the game. And what a game for the Cincinnati Bengals. Another statement win, 5-3, and three, and by far ascending. All right, so a quick preview of the Houston Texans, and I watched their game in depth because I had a bet on that one as well, and I knew they were playing the Bengals. So, so it was a nice scouting session for the unofficial Bengals podcast. So the Texans are a surprising 4-4. Four and four. Offense is ninth, their defense is 18th. But most importantly, points per game. And they're kind of in the middle. Points per game on offense, they're 11th. Points per game on defense, they're 15th. So not at the top of the league, certainly not at the bottom of the league, and definitely way better than anyone could have expected this year. Because, you know, you know the deal. Everyone who sees the Texans on their schedule when you're doing the win-loss thing is like, oh, that's a win, that's a win. And uh, they've been proving a lot of teams wrong, and they better not prove the Bengals wrong. D'Amico Ryans is proving to be an excellent leader for that team. Matt Burke is a good defensive coordinator. I don't know much about Bobby Slowick, the offensive coordinator, but he's got C.J. Stroud playing very well. Stroud is having a great season and looking like he's going to be the long-term answer for that franchise. And don't the Panthers feel bad about that? Not only did they not pick him and pass him up, but they traded away their first-round pick this year to move up. So now they're looking like they're going to pick in the top three, but that pick's going to the Bears. But enough about the Panthers. Let's talk about the Texans. Damian Pierce is a great running back for them, and he really had a breakout season last year. A little bit slower start this year, and he's banged up, so I'm not sure if he's going to play, but they have Devin Singletary, who's also a proven back. Nico Collins at wide receiver had a huge game last week against the Bucks. Tank Dell is a, is a speedster, elusive guy, deep threat, who's having a great year. You know, just a lot of young, unknown players that if Stroud keeps playing like this, we're going to know all their names. They have Noah Brown as their other receiver and Dalton Schultz as Stroud's go-to. You know, he's the kind of tight end that's going to get six, seven, eight receptions a game and, and just be someone that Stroud heavily relies on. 
One of the keys to Stroud being successful is this offensive line. Laramie Tunzel's at the top of the league. Fant is excellent at right tackle. Dieter's having a good year at center. Titus Howard at, at guard, He's looks like the weak spot on that offensive line. And then Mason, Shaq Mason at the other guard position, another great player. So that's a really strong offensive line. It's a lot of unknown players that are being very productive. And you have a rookie quarterback who the light has gone on for, and he's going to keep these guys in contention this year and beyond. Defensively, Will Anderson, that number three pick in the draft, you know, they took Stroud and Anderson back-to-back. What a way to change your organization around, and they're a 500 team halfway through right now, so it's working. He's having a good year. Jonathan Greenard's having a good year. They have Rankins and Collins in the middle. That appears to be the weak spot of the defense, so hopefully we can make some hay running up the middle, or at least there'll be some room for Burrow to step up in the pocket. You know, that that's the plan. That's the goal for this week. Denzel Perriman at linebacker, solid. Blake Cashman, a very highly ranked linebacker, so they have two good linebackers. Steven Nelson at corner, ex-Steelers having a good year. Shaq Griffin at the other corner, a bigger name, not playing as well as Nelson, but still not a bad player. Tavier Thomas in the slot is having an outstanding year, so Boyd's going to have some tough sledding. Jimmy Ward at safety, Jalen Petrie at the other safety. That's a really good secondary, and I'm surprised that their pass defense isn't better than it is because the secondary is outstanding. They have some good pass rushers. They're good on both sides of the ball. Just it's not a lot of household names, so you underestimate them. But this is a pretty good roster. Their kicker got injured last week, which cost them a lot. Uh, Fairbairn, I don't know what they're going to do in the meantime. I've been checking the transactions every day. They haven't picked up someone as of this recording. I'm sure they will because you can't go in with a kicker with a, a bad quad. Even if you deem him healthy, that's troublesome. But hey, you want to do it? Hey, start Fairbairn. Let's let's go. All right, keys to the game. And every key to the game is obvious, right? The, what, what's the key? You protect Joe Burrow, you're winning the game. That's the, you know, the... The easy answer, but let's let's go a little bit deeper than that. So when we're on defense, you want to pressure and confuse Stroud. You know, he's still a rookie. He still hasn't seen it all. So hopefully Coach Anarumo can bring some exotic blitzes, some exotic looks, get the defense in one look and switch out of it. Maybe, you know, try to confuse the rookie, get some pressure. It doesn't seem like Stroud's a big runner of the ball. He's definitely a pass-first quarterback. He can run the ball, but he's not like a threat like Allen and Jackson. So this is more of a case of getting our pass rushers in there, making trouble for C.J. Stroud, and again, trying to just confuse him with exotic looks and exotic blitzes. Second key when we're on defense, don't let Schultz carve you up. I saw it last game. Stroud was going to him all game long, and you know we had Dalton Kincaid lighting us up the last game, so I don't want to see Schultz you know, on a third and 11 get 12 yards and you know just break our backs so that's someone that you definitely have to worry about I don't know what the plan is I don't know if you want to dedicate a safety to covering him or get him at the line of scrimmage slow him down a little bit just be conscious of him you can't just be like well this is Dalton Schultz he's not Travis Kelsey he'll he'll kill you if you let him and prevent the chunk pass plays and that's another common sense right in every game don't let them go over your heads just like we did with the Bills at the end of the last game same thing here. This is a team that you see you see Tank Dell, you know, with a 60-yard reception. You see Nico Collins going deep. So we're not the kind of team that gets beat deep because Dax Hill's athleticism and we have really good corners, but that's just one thing to look out for because at times that's what they're going to be relying on. You know, maybe they can't 
pick their way down the field against our, our linebackers and our front seven. But maybe, you know, a couple big tosses up top when we're least expecting it and, you know, Tank Dell breaks open the game. You just can't allow that. Offensively, turn Joe Burrow loose. I don't care about Will Anderson and the linebackers and most of their secondary playing well. Burrow can overcome all of that. You know, he, he can beat any team, anytime. He can put up big points against big defenses. So this isn't a game where you, you start fearing these Texans players. You respect them. You be aware of them. You game plan to get the best of them. But you turn Joe Burrow loose. And I, I think you win the game, period. Let's attack the interior of the defensive line, which will give us some time of possession. I think mixing up the middle a bunch in this game with the way that Kappa and Karras are playing and, you know, Volson's really good in run blocking. I say you get those interior offensive linemen just attacking those defensive tackles and mixing, hitting four or five yards a clip and just eating away at them. And, you know, now you're in a second and four and the playbook is just wide open. Now you're in a third and one and the playbook's just wide open. You know, you want to get yourself in those situations. And if they have a little bit of trouble in the interior of their defensive line, that's the way to go. And with that said, control the clock. Stroud is hot right now, right? What, four or five touchdown passes, 470 yards, like these monopoly numbers. The Bucks were bad, man. Like I said, I had a bet on this. And it was the Bucks plus two and a half. And I actually won the bet. But the whole time I'm like, are you kidding me? Are you just going to let these guys just pass the ball at will? I think controlling the clock and slowing down the momentum of this Texans team will go a long way. You know, and, and you get Stroud into a couple mistakes and a couple three and outs early, a couple negative drives, and Burrow just lighting it up early. I think that's the recipe where it's hard for the Texans to overcome that. And go four wides. If you're going to turn Burrow loose, let's have Sample in the backfield or... You know, just trust our running backs and just scheme up some some four wide receiver games. You know, if if Chase isn't healthy, then you'll see Vash and Irwin get their get their chances, and you know, you you point guard it. Oh man, I just did it again. You get me though. You you get it to Boyd. You get it to Higgins. You get it to the the number three and the number four and the number five receivers. And if Chase is there, whole different story. But four wides, I think, is the way to go more than often in this game. And I guess you go after Shaq Griffin. If the other two corners have been locked down this year, then you you get Higgins isolated on him, you get Chase isolated on him, and you know you do some damage on Shaq Griffin this game. Prediction? You know I'm riding high on the Bengals right now, and of course I will never pick against them. Even if we're 1-15 playing a Super Bowl contender, I will still find a way to rationalize the Bengals winning that game. Sorry about that. So whatever prediction I have, I guess, goes out the window with that said. But I'm going to say 31-20 Bengals. I don't think the Texans are going to have the same success on offense as they did against that weird Buccaneers defense. And I think that Joe Burrow is just going to continue driving down the field and scoring. So four touchdowns and a field goal for the Bengals. Two touchdowns, two field goals for the Texans. Bengals go to 6-3 and and bring on Baltimore. That'll do it for this episode. I'd like to thank at Bengals Highlights on Instagram, the best page out there. Really cool highlights, really cool music. Definitely something you should check out. Thank you for listening to the unofficial Bengals podcast. This is your host, Frank LaPlaca, and I'm a Bengals fan for life.
unofficial Bengals podcast.